Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from quarantine once again. So, I owe you guys an apology. Yesterday, I was, I thought that Will was going to talk about the um, what's going on with the Natural History Museum. However, um, he got distracted and started talking about other things. So, we decided to do a bonus episode for you guys. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to draw a lot on my time at the Natural History Museum um, for my for my segments. Uh, Will will be wrapping up the show with Paula Talk um, and all of that. So, <laughs> um, the, before the Me Too movement and before um, sexual harassment was a, a hard talking point, uh, I worked at the Natural History Museum. Uh, I, we've talked about this many times. Uh, and... <laughs> Um, our conversations tended to get a little feisty. Um, so I was sitting, it was, um, Super Bowl 2014, and I think it was like the week before the Super Bowl, um, it was a Sunday, I remember that, and I was sitting in the Rotunda, which is the main entrance of the Natural History Museum, and I was talking to two of my friends about who our baby daddies would be. And as y'all know, I have a type. <laughs> um, this does not surprise anybody. Uh, I said that Tom Brady would be my baby daddy. And um, so this guy comes up, he's holding his son, it's very cute. Um, and he wanted to add on one of the special exhibits, I believe it was Poison, uh, to his ticket. So I explained to him that um, it would be extra, and he said, no problem, whatever. And, uh, you know, I ran it through. And, you know, there was, there was really nothing to, um, there was nothing really to it. I certainly didn't think anything of it. I, um, when I ran his credit card, I happened to glance at the name, and his name was Tom Brady. But for whatever reason, and you'll, y'all know that this is something that happens a lot. You didn't click in my brain um, that this was the Tom Brady. So <laughs> we, so we, I ran his credit card, and he took off. Nice as could be does not look like he does on TV or in um, the magazine spreads, to be honest. Uh, he's a good-looking guy, but he looked very daddish, like very... Um, there was nothing, like, particularly special about him. And I, like... I looked at my friend, I was like, oh, you know, his name was Tom Brady, too, whatever. And they're like, yeah, but it wasn't the Tom Brady. I was like, duh. Like, I don't know that guy. He's like, what What are you talking about? So, my supervisor came running up to me so excited, like a schoolgirl. He was just, like, so excited and was like, you know who that was? That was Tom Brady. He's an NFL star. And I was like... All of our collective mouths dropped. 
um, his wife, um, Gazelle, I can never say her last name, um, was just right outside of the rotunda waiting for him. Uh, she was dressed down. Um, I, someone said she was in sweats, but I didn't actually see her, so I won't, um, I won't go that far, but, uh, it was most definitely one of those moments where you realize that in New York City, you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, and it was, it, to this day, that's one of the funniest stories I have about meeting a celebrity. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny looking back on it because now I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> I met so many cool people. And I never actually realized that these people were were celebrities. Like, they're so down to earth. Uh, celebrities, they're just like us. Well, not me, because I'm poor and, you know, don't have millions of dollars to throw away. But one day, I guess, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So... <clears throat> As you guys know, this is a very um, um, American Museum of Natural History focused episode. Um, Will will be talking about uh, AIM and H later on in Palatok. And I get to just talk about some of my experiences working at the museum. How cool is that? <laughs> for once, I'm not doing the heavy lifting. I say for once, but really, Will does all the heavy lifting. <laughs> Okay, so, my next story is kind of really cool. It's something that I love to tell people. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shared it. I know the Tom Brady story. I, I've shared bits and pieces. Um, I don't believe I've ever shared the whole thing. Uh, but this story, I don't believe I've ever shared uh, on Drunk Gossip. Again, I was working at the Natural History Museum. It was 2014. Uh, just before I left, and I was working in the um, one of the special exhibits. I wanna, um, I think it was pterosaur. Um, I don't quite remember which one it was. To be honest, it was six years ago, and um, so much has happened since then. Uh, but the really cool thing about the Natural History Museum is uh, most of their special exhibits they actually own themselves. Uh, for those who are not in the museum industry, this is very rare. Um, usually the top tier um, museums like AM and H's, um, they usually buy or license a an exhibit. <clears throat> um, and when they don't, it's usually a massive failure. The Detroit Science Center tried to launch their own uh, bodies exhibit because of the success that they had had with our body and it just completely blew up in their face and it was a huge drain on their finances. Um, the reason why I bring this up is because the, when the museum owns it, they can kind of get away with doing certain things. But the um, the Natural History Museum actually requires that all patrons pay, whether you're a member or not. Um, the 
the flip side is members, of course, get a discount on this. So, Idina Menzel comes up and wants to see the exhibit. And this is one where I absolutely knew who she was and I was just awestruck. You know, I had... I just didn't know what to say. Um, This is someone who I've admired and loved for a very long time. And... You know, I was just... Like, wow. And she realized this. Um, She asked if she could see the exhibit. I explained to her she needed to buy the ticket. Uh, And since she was a member, she was going to have to go to the membership desk to get it. Because I wasn't able to do it from my computer. And she was very gracious. And she's like, are are you fangirling out inside? And I laughed. And I was like, yes, yes I am. And she's like, would you like to hug? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I got to hug Idina Menzel. And it is, um, she's she's the greatest. Um, you know, she actually went down, even though I let her go into the exhibit, she actually went down and still paid for it and brought me the ticket so I didn't get in trouble. <clears throat> and to me, that was just like, that just shows what kind of person she is. She is such a gracious and wonderful human being that she didn't want someone else to lose their job so she could see an exhibit. And I was, you know, I, I, I was already in awe of her. Uh, and this just made me love her even more. And I will be honest with that. In New York, I've run into several celebrities, and none of them have ever matched Idina Menzel in just grace and loveliness. Um, You know, I've never run into, well, I I did run into one jerk, but that's a whole different story. That's a whole different setup, Um, and we'll talk about that later, but most most of the people I've run into have been just so sweet. Um, and down-to-earth and real people, that it's really hard for me to imagine them acting a fool like we know that they do. But, you know, of course we know that these things happen, and I'm really glad that I can personally attest that Idina Menzel is not one of those that's going to act bad. But I can attest to this. I can also attest to this, I should say. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So, for this one, we're going to get a little bit more personal. <clears throat> because I don't think I've ever shared this story with anybody else in my entire life. So, you, my drunk gossip audience, are the first ones to ever hear this. I moved to New York in August of 2013. And I was making a lot of money freelancing. So I didn't think I needed a quote-unquote traditional job. But the time came when I realized I did need one. Um, Not for the money per se, but I needed social interaction. I needed to talk to people. And... um, Meetup wasn't a thing at the time, or if it was, it was so minute that I hadn't heard about it. So one of my friends from Detroit actually knew someone who worked at the Natural History Museum, 
And my contact at the Natural History Museum told me, like, hey, they're looking for customer service people. Put in your app and I'll make sure you get the job. True to his word, he did. And I, um, there was a, a lag time of probably about three or f- maybe four weeks before I heard anything. And one day during that time, I just happened to be walking. Um, and I came across the Natural History Museum. And I know this is going to sound really weird. Uh, keep in mind, I was new to New York, and I get lost going in a straight line, so, um, I had no idea that this was, that I was about to run into, into the museum. And then, when I did, there was the Tody Roosevelt statue, and the, uh, the proclamation that this was the Natural History Museum, and I just kind of stood there looking, and I, and I knew I was going to work there. The other thing I knew was that the statue bothered me. And it bothered me in a way where I couldn't describe at the time. And so when I finally got hired, I, you know, I would talk to people, I would talk to my coworkers. And one day, I finally mentioned to, um, to my former coworker that the statue bothered me. And she was very smart, um... She was very opinionated, um, even though I disagreed with many of her opinions. I I look at the statue um, and talk to her about it. I'm like, I don't understand. And then she, she explained that I was probably uncomfortable with how the two people of color, the Native American and the black man, were subjugated and... Um, Treated as inferior to Teddy Roosevelt. And it didn't feel right at the time, but it kind of made sense. And I was like... So then I talked to Mary T, who you all will remember from um, her guest co-hosting stint. And we talked about how... We talked about it and I told her what our former colleague had said. And she's like, well, that's why it bothers me. I don't know why it bothers you. So I I really sat and thought some more about it. And I tried to piece together what I was thinking. And yeah, the racial part of it really did bother me. And I know there were many, many employees who wanted it taken down. They've wanted it taken down for years. Um, They've begged and pleaded. And each time, upper management of the museum ignored them. Um, even when the first Black Lives Matter movement, um, or I shouldn't say the first, when the Black Lives Matters movement um, came into prominence, there were additional calls. Um, and uh, with that, um, they started listening, they started researching, but it wasn't until um, this current era with the death of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Richard Brooks, that they felt action, action was necessary. And so the decision to bring the statue down 
is being met with a lot of applause, as it should be. But there's much more to the story. And for that, we're going to turn things over to Will. Um, Before I do that, though, just thank you all so much for listening. I hope you like this bonus episode of Drunk Gossip. And, you know, as always, cheers. Politalk is next. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Politalk. This week, we have a special episode in advance of the regular showing, where I will be covering a couple of major... Well, major breaking news stories. The first among them being the impending removal of the Teddy Roosevelt statue from the Museum of Natural History, and the second being the impact of K-pop stan Twitter on the Black Lives Matter protests and the police response to them. I, I went to Davidson, guys. Anyway... We'll start off with the statue. The presence of the statue at Teddy Ro- of Teddy Roosevelt at the Museum of Natural History, which he founded, has become an increasingly contentious issue about over the last couple of years, especially so with the museum's staff. Many have questioned whether or not it's appropriate to keep the statue on the premises in a place of honor considering Roosevelt's actions as president and before and after his presidency. A common note is that while Teddy Roosevelt did found America's national park system and was regarded as a major conservationist in his time, he forced Native American tribes off of their land to create these national, the national parks and contributed to a pretty significant hit in terms of America's ecology by basically waging a war against Native tribes and their food supplies, inflicting terrible human suffering and ecological devastation that while he may not have been solely responsible for, he certainly participated in enthusiastically. There are a number of other issues surrounding Teddy Roosevelt that have gone into the campaign for his removal, but suffice to say that opposition to the statue's presidents has grown so tremendously that workers in the museum have threatened to strike on multiple occasions if it is not removed. The museum's board has resisted efforts to remove the statue in the past, But Teddy Roosevelt's most recent descendant, Teddy Roosevelt IV, has voiced his support for the workers and the effort to remove his ancestor's statue. The ongoing protests in the U.S. over police brutality and racism seem to have finally pushed the board to accept the workers' demands, as the museum has announced that it will remove the statue. However, some members of the board have spoken about commissioning another one, which has drawn, driven a lot of antipathy from workers, many of whom are furloughed or on leave due to the effects of the coronavirus. And now we move on to our second special interest story, i.e. the mobilization of Twitter's K-pop fandom in support of the Black Lives Matter protests and other liberal causes online. Now, for the record here, I don't mean that There have been a lot of thoughts and prayers messages coming out of Twitter's K-pop fandom, which is less of a single unified subculture and more of a series of disparate groups all focusing on their favorite bands, as it is with most music fandoms, have been posting lots of thoughts and prayers messages. I mean that they have actually organized as a fandom to support the protesters materially, largely through disrupting online police surveillance and trolling 
counter-protesters. The first big incident of this type occurred in Dallas, where the city police introduced a new app where people could report protesters. And the Twitter fandom for BTS, a South Korean boy band, proceeded to flood the app with music videos and concert footage, thus rendering it useless and forcing the police department to take it down. Twitter fandoms in other cities have also employed similar strategies when the police have attempted to put forth recording or reporting apps. As for trolling operations, the biggest and most successful example of that type occurred very recently in Tulsa and relates to Trump's rally, or the promises, at least, that it would be much bigger than it actually was. Most of you who listen to this podcast will already be aware of that debacle, but for those of you who aren't, the Trump team claimed in advance that the rally had booked a million reservations despite the coronavirus and would easily sell out a theater that can only hold 20,000 and even set up significant overflow space for their supporters. However, in the end, the final headcount was only 6,611. I repeat, only a little over 6,500 people attended Trump's rally. Over the past few days, it has emerged that most of the reservations were lodged by trolls using fake emails and Twitter handles in an attempt to convince Trump that he that the rally would be extremely large and then embarrass him when his expectations were not met. This effort appears to have been led by, again, the Twitter K-pop fandom, although I can't name a specific band's followers who were leading the operation. To sum up, Twitter K-pop stan fandom, a phenomenon that I had to do a not insubstantial amount of research on as I didn't understand them at all prior to this event, has accomplished vastly more during this whole phenomenon, this whole cultural phenomenon than the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives even earning themselves a Twitter congratulation from AOC just earlier this week. So, uh, Stan Luna, I guess? Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Producer Wilt signing off, and I will check in with y'all later in the week. Cheers!